Turn with me, if you would, again to uh, the book of Malachi. I've said it so many times before, when the pastor says, turn to the book of Malachi, then people think, hmm, the church needs money. Well, today we're coming to a passage where you think we really need money. Because this text that we're going coming to today has so often been used and misused as a proof text for tithing. When in reality it addresses a much wider problem. And it's the problem of a lack of God orientation in our lives. So I'm giving away the last line right at the beginning. So that you know where we're heading to. God in this text is addressing in the nation of Israel a lack of a God orientation in their lives. A lack of trust in their almighty God, the one who is faithful. And he uses their giving as an example to them of how they do so. And so, no, it's not just about money, but yes, it also is. And so, let's see what God says in his word to us this morning. Malachi chapter 3, and we're reading from verse 7 through to verse 12. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord addresses Israel because Israel was suffering from a deadly heart disease. And it was a disease in them called historic faithlessness. The Lord says in verse 7, From the days of your forefathers you have turned aside from our statutes. You see, this wasn't a new problem in Israel. It was the very reason God had sent them into exile. They had been faithless to the Lord. And what was the cause of their faithlessness? That verse carries on. You have turned aside from my statutes, from my commands, says the Lord. You see, Israel was no longer walking in the way of God. They were deliberately off track. It didn't just start suddenly. It may have started sporadically. When they started the cutting corners of God's principles for living. It's the slow phase. 
but it had grown to this stage where it was now ingrained in them. And the sin was an ingrained heart attitude in them. They were now blatantly, openly, and unashamedly, and deliberately not keeping God's commands. And God had shown them other areas in their lives where this had been happening, but here is just another area that they were away from God's way. And so God confronts them. Just glance back at verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. But he says, you don't change either. You are faithless. I am unchanging in my faithfulness and in my mercy to you. And my hands are still stretched out to you. My faithless nation, says the Lord, return to me and I will return to you. And when he says return to me, obviously that means they've gone away from him. They were no longer walking in his way. And so the almighty Lord of hosts says to them, return to me and then I will return to you. I'm a holy God. I can't bear evil in my sight. And that's why we are no longer in communion. Return to me and I will return to you. And when you do, I will forgive you and I will restore you to myself. We will have that relationship again. But your heart is wrong towards me. How do we know their heart is wrong? Look at their reaction. The prophet says, but you say, how shall we return? Was this really a genuine question? How shall we return? No, Israel knew exactly what they had to do. Rather, this was an excuse for their inaction and their disobedience. And they put it in the form of a question. You might suffer from that same deadly heart disease this morning. God has been pointing to things in your life. And you keep coming up with this question, but Lord, how? You know what you must do. You know that that long held on to sin, that particular one in your life that you know about, you haven't taken it to the Lord because you love it too much. Or maybe you're in a disobedient relationship and you're thinking you can cut these corners because God won't mind. He'll turn a blind eye to your specific sin in your life. Or maybe in your life you've got wrong priorities. Other things have taken center stage in your life. You know what you must do before the Lord. And then you come up with this question, but Lord, how? Me? You feign ignorance before God. But you know, God says all over his word, right through it, he says, I can see your heart. I can see your motives that are hidden to man, but not to me. David said it like this, Psalm 139, verses 2 and 4. He said, Lord, you discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, I haven't even spoken it yet. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You know my very thoughts. And so the question that they come to the Lord, how shall we return? God addresses it and he gets really specific now with them as the Lord does when he works in our lives. He says to them, do you want to know how you can return to me? Okay. I'll give you a specific example, says the Lord. Another one. Verse 8. Will a man, a mere mortal, will a mere mortal man rob or defraud, literally, God? Will you, mere mortals, rob me, 
the Lord, Yahweh, the Almighty One, the One who knows your thoughts. You see, God knew that they wouldn't dare to rob their household idols and their gods that they brought in through the foreign wives. Why? Because they feared misfortune if they did. And yet, they come before the Almighty God and they have the temerity to rob the living God, the one who had been faithful to them. They were more fearful of their dead gods than of the living unseen God. How do we know they've got this attitude? Well, there's another question. You see, it gives it away. They ask the Lord, Lord, how have we robbed you? And you can nearly hear the tone in their voices. How dare you, God? How have we robbed you? Don't we go into the temple and bring you our offerings? Yes, they may not be quite what you want, Lord, but we do so many other things that we think will please you, Lord. Well, we do, do have our marrying our foreign woman, and yes, we, we have been divorced, but Lord, aren't we good otherwise? Us? Rob you? Do you hear that tone in that question? It isn't a question, it's an accusation. And then the Lord says to them, you are robbing me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. Now, before we go any further with this, we need to get a little bit of background on the tithes and the offerings. I need to clarify this. Because if we don't, this has been misused so many times, over and over. When people need money, churches need money, they hammer this one. So, let's see where this comes from. Turn with me, if you would, to the Old Testament, further back, Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Where does this... These, this phrase of giving the tithe and the offering come from. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 to 29. Many years before, God had given these directions and these directives to Moses and the people. And this is the one specifically about giving to the Lord what they owe Him. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where He chooses to establish His name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Take note of that verse. We're going to come back to it. Verse 24. If the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. Look at this. It's an interesting command. For oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. Well, that's the first time I've seen that one. Or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. So what was God saying to them? He's saying, I want you to set apart this section of what I have given to you. And I want you to come and eat it before me. In a God-glorifying way. And yes, in their day, it wasn't even strong drink. But do it in a God-glorifying way. Don't misuse. 
Why did God want them to do that? So that even through their eating and their drinking and their bringing to the Lord, they would give Him glory. So that you would fear the Lord your God always. That word tithe was literally translated a tenth. And these were not voluntary gifts that the Lord was asking them to bring. They were specific set payments that were mandated by the covenant made with Moses. And they were only relevant for the period of Israel's history when the Mosaic covenant was in force. And Israel was living on God's land, not theirs. God had brought them into his land. The land he had given them, but it's his land. And therefore they owed God a tithe or rent payment set by God as their landlord. There was no negotiation. Just think today, if you were renting from someone and you had a fixed rent, all right, and then you decided, well, this month I'm not going to pay that. I'll pay what I can or I might just not pay it. What would happen to you? I think you'd be homeless. Well, that's exactly what the nation was doing. God had said to them, this is what I want you to pay me for staying in my land. And they were just saying, well, maybe not. And therefore, by not paying these tithes at all, or by not paying them into the temple, as God had said they should, the people were directly robbing God. It wasn't even indirectly, it was directly robbing God. What were these tithes used for? Well, we see three specific areas mentioned in this text we've been looking at in Deuteronomy. They were used to support those serving full-time in the temple. Who were those? The priests and the Levites. Those set apart by the Lord to serve him. And so they couldn't have land, they couldn't work their own land, and so they had to be supported. Plus, there's a second um, use here. They were to provide for the needs of the poor in the community. And then thirdly, the tithes and the offerings were used to provide for the regular celebration of the family of God in God's presence. That interesting passage we looked at. But what was the lesson behind these tithes? Verse 23 gave us the one clue. You need to bring me this tithe payment, says the Lord, so that you will learn to fear the Lord your God. In other words, you are to revere me. I am the one who gives you these good gifts. Fear me, says the Lord. And verse 29 is another clue. So that the Lord your God may bless you. So we are to fear the Lord and in return, He will bless us if we are obedient. And that was the directive. And then, there were other taxes further imposed on the people. There were the ongoing costs of the temple and many other taxes. And in the end, the people in the Old Testament ended up paying well over 50% of what they had back to the Lord. We're living in the New Testament. And then people moan about so-called 10%. We'll get to that. The Lord says, bring me your tithes and your offerings. The offerings is a different gift there to bring back to the Lord. It was literally translated, bring me the heave offering. It's the portion lifted up or taken by a person from their property and their produce and their income and they were to bring this as an offering to the Lord. And it had much more of a voluntary aspect tied to it. It's more complicated than that, but it was much more voluntary. And so the Lord says to me, to them, bring your tithes and your offerings. Verse 9, he says, you have knowingly 
and deliberately chosen to keep from me what is mine by covenant, says the Lord. And therefore, look at this now, the covenant curses will apply to you. He says, you are cursed with a curse, the whole nation of you. There is not an exception, says the Lord. Now, a little bit more background, so just bear with me here, and then we'll get on with this text. Turn again to Deuteronomy chapter 28 this time. Let's go and look at some of these curses that the Lord brings on them. And these were covenant curses. They knew very clearly. This was like a contract. If you do not pay me the tithe, these are the curses that will come upon you. The Lord made it very clear to them. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 to 18. But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now look at all these curses. There's a whole lot of them. We're only going to read a few. Verse 16. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Your basket, whatever you gather for yourselves economically, and also your kneading bowl, even the food in your house. Verse 18. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Now that's got direct application on what we're speaking about today. Now go down to verse 23 and 24. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze. In other words, you're not going to get rain. And the earth which is under you, iron. Nothing's going to grow. Sounds a bit like Africa, where I come from. Verse 24. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now those were fairly severe curses, weren't they? But the Israelites knew that if they didn't keep God's covenant... If they didn't keep what God had told them to do, this would happen to you. And yet in the face of this warning, what did they do? They carry on and they disobey the Lord. You see, what the Lord was trying to teach them here, through these covenant curses and blessings, was that obedience to the law of the tithe would bring them fruitfulness and blessing from the Lord. But disobedience would cause their land to become barren and cursed. Which was exactly what was happening here in Malachi. The people were in the situation. They'd come from exile. They'd come back into their land. And now they were trying to get going again economically. But it wasn't raining. The earth wasn't producing. They were looking around them at the nations. They're saying, but Lord, it's raining on their territories. Why not on us? And they were starting to come up in rebellion against the Lord. And he says, there's a reason. You have disobeyed me directly. You are not bringing to my house what I've told you. The whole nation of And so God says to them, you want, you want me to return to you and you want me to bless this land again? Then here's the solution, verse 10, back in our text in Malachi. Bring the whole tithe. And the emphasis here in the text is on the whole tithe, the full tenth of what I've told you to bring me. Bring it to me, not just the portion that you think you can spare, thereby defrauding God. You see that God need their actual coins and their payment. Did he need their money? God doesn't need their money. What did God want from them? He wanted obedience and that obedient attitude 
of their hearts. That's what God was after in his nation. And God was trying to teach them that if they were obedient to him, he would cause his blessings, and the, the language used here is he would cause his blessings to flow on them in rich abundance to such an extent that they wouldn't be able to contain it at all, but only those who kept his commandments. And so is it just about money here? Is this text about money? No, it's about obedient hearts. That's what God's trying to teach them. And so in verse 10b, the second half of that verse, he says to them, if you obey me, this is the blessing that I will bring on you. Look at it. It's very specific in the text. If you start to show your obedience to me, says the Lord, I will bring a very specific blessing on you. And these will also lay down for them. I will open the floodgates or the sluices, to use a modern term, of heaven. And they knew about sluices because they'd come from Egypt. And the Egyptians were using sluices already then. They knew what it was when that Nile came down and flooded those valleys and the fertile ground yielded grain. They knew what it was. God says, I will open up the floodgates or the sluices of heaven and you will receive sufficient rainfall in due season. No longer will the skies be bronze. They will give rain. And no longer will the ground be iron. It will yield crops. And you will have superabundance, says the Lord. And then he carries on. And this is interesting. It's one of those interesting verses that you come across in Scripture every now and then, which which you can kind of misinterpret. He says, test me in this, says the Lord. Now, usually when the Lord uses the word test me, it's in a negative sense. He's saying, don't test me because of disobedience. But here it's a positive thing. He says, test me in this. See, if you are faithful to me, will I not be faithful to you? Test me in this, says the Lord. Step out in faith, in other words. Trust in my promises. Trust in my word. And evaluate me on the basis of my response to you if you are obedient. And the opposite of that is true. If they didn't test him in this, if they refused his invitation, that the Lord would see as a step of disobedience, of unbelief. And so this is one of the few places that the Lord says, test me. I want to give to you bountifully, but be faithful to me and then look to me to provide for you. How will God be faithful to them? Verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer. Now, they had diseases which often came on those crops of theirs. And God says, I will rebuke the devourer with an omnipotent authority. The same authority that told the wind and the waves to be still. I can tell diseases to stop in their tracks. And then your crops will yield bountifully. And the result is blessing on the land. If you are obedient to me, your crops will produce and you will again be a blessed nation, says the Lord. And all the nations, says verse 12, will call you blessed. The nations will look on you and see that the grass is greener on your side, not on theirs. And they will call you blessed. And I will be glorified in that because they will recognize that I am the one behind this because I have blessed you. The Lord of hosts will bring this about. And so by being obedient to me, says the Lord, you will glorify my name in the face of the nations. And that is what God wants. Well, that was the nation of Israel. And that's quite a few thousand years ago. What about us today? You and I, as we sit here in this building, 2011. What about us? 
What does God require of us? Should we still tithe today as Christians? And I can hear that question burning in you already. And you know, that's not the real question. The real question, and I know because I've asked this question, is how little must I give? Or how much can I keep for myself? Tell me. It's a heart-directed question, you see. In the New Testament, the New Testament doesn't speak about tithing. You'll find the word there, but when you find the word tithing, it's speaking about, it's referring back to the Old Testament history and what the people did, or it's speaking about the man-made rules that the Pharisees brought on the people. That's the only references you'll find to tithing directly. Because tithing ended with the Mosaic Covenant. Now, don't breathe a sigh of relief. Right? I can hear it audible. The Lord no longer requires just the fruits of our vegetable gardens or our orchards. He doesn't just require the tenth of our income. You see, Jesus came along and he came to intensify the requirements of the law. Now I can hear you getting worried. He wants perfection from us. The Lord Jesus said, I want your whole being given over to me and everything that I've given to you, you give back to me. How do we know that? You see, it's an attitude of the heart that Jesus also came down. When he spoke, when the Lord Jesus spoke about that widow and the rich that were coming into the temple, past that offering box, and the widow put in her little mites, and the rich came and with jangling bags and trumpets going, they also plonked down their big gift. So everyone knew what was happening. God said, it's the widow that the Lord sees. It's her offering that she sees. Why? Because her attitude before the, right, the Lord is right when she gives that gift. She gave everything she could, says Jesus. Not just what she could spare. The attitude was much more important than the amount. Now please listen to what I'm going to say next. Because this is what Jesus is pointing to. You see, when we look at this whole subject of offering to the Lord, because that still stands today, our giving is a window into how we view God. I'll repeat that. Our giving back to the Lord is a window, it's a little bit of insight into how we view God. You see, if we view God as the gracious giver of all gifts, everything that I have, then we will want to excel in this grace of giving back to Him everything we have. And we will want to give away so that others can also hear the good news. Because that is mainly what churches use money for, is so that others can also hear the good news. And yes, there are ongoing costs. But if, on the other hand, we view God as this hard taskmaster who isn't fair and just, and whose service is just a great weariness to me, then this will become visible in our reluctant giving. Do you get the principle there? So the question we're talking about in this passage is not the amount, but the attitude. You see, how much has God given you and I? He gave me His only Son. His only Son He sent down to this earth. He allowed His only Son to be humiliated on my behalf. To be scorned and to killed for me. 
He gave me new spiritual life when I was dead in my sin. And I didn't even want to know about him. He gave me new spiritual life. I wasn't asking for it. He gave me every breath. And he still gives me every breath. Everything I have. Past, present, future. God gives. And so the correct question should be, not how much must I give God, but rather how much should I keep back from Him? Now please hear me correctly today. I'm not saying go and cash up everything you own and bring it and we'll accept it gladly. That's not what I'm saying. But what is your attitude before the Lord when you give? Do you give out of a gratefulness because God has given to you or do you see what you can spare and give that to God? And yes, we do have responsibilities, financial responsibilities every month. We've got kids that we need to bring up. And yes, there is a witness to those that we owe money to that we pay on time. Yes, there is that. But the Lord says, what is your heart like? Do you give of your first fruit to me? And so there are three principles for giving today I want to bring to you. The first one is this. Give back to God in proportion to what he gives you. Give back to God in proportion to what He gives you. Give freely to the Lord. Second principle is, give sacrificially to the Lord so that you can feel it, not just what you can spare. And I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about your time, and I'm talking about your resources, and I'm talking about your skills. Give back to the Lord until you can feel it. Thirdly, Look to the Lord for His blessing. And yes, yes, there might be a time when you are running short financially because you've given to the Lord and you've done that responsibly before the Lord. But look to Him for His blessing. I've seen this time and time again, how the Lord provides so unexpectedly from sources we didn't even think possible when we give to the Lord faithfully because our hearts say, this is what I must do. G. Camel Morgan said it like this. Listen to this quote. He said, God's claim is all, everything to be his. Every coin used selfishly is robbery in God's dispensation. I'll repeat that. God's claim is all, everything to be his. Every coin used selfishly is robbery in God's dispensation. That'll put a new perspective on the way we spend, wouldn't it? And the Lord promises that those who give generously to the Lord, does he promise you a large bank account? I don't see that in scripture. Does he promise you a very successful business? I don't see that in scripture. But the Lord does promise this. He says, I will give my overflowing blessing to you. And whether that is financial, it will definitely be spiritual. I will give my overflowing blessing to you. And God knows what form that blessing takes in your specific life. It will be different to everyone here. God will bless you. And he says, test me in this. And that is a statement of open trust in God. God, I openly trust you. I want to test you in this. I want to see this testimony to your greatness. Lord, I want to give with a willing heart. I wonder how many believers today give even 10% of what God has given to them. Even though it's an Old Testament thing. 
I wonder if God would say to most of us today, you robbed me. You robbed me in your financial giving to me. You robbed me in your giving of your personal time to me in my service. You robbed me in your devotion to me, your personal devotion to me. You robbed me in the time you should be spending with me in my word. You robbed me, says the Lord. That principle remains the same. And so here at Wanganui East Baptist, are we worried about giving? No, that's not our major concern. You see, the principle that I personally hold to, and I know that our elders, our elders hold to, is this. James Hudson Taylor summed it up beautifully like this. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. That is such an important quote. Listen to it. There's a lot summed up in it. God's work, it's God's work, done in God's way by the principles of his word alone, will never lack God's supplies. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so if we are doing his work, he will supply the needs for that work to be done. We don't have to worry about it. What is our responsibility? It is to do God's work his way. God's responsibility is to supply our needs. That is the blessing of it. We don't need to worry about finances. You see, we have to be faithful to the task. But the question is, are we faithful to that task as individuals? Or are we faithless people as Israel was faithless before the Lord? Are we cutting corners in our obedience to the Lord? Because if we are, we are robbing the Lord of the faithfulness due to him. God's work will get done if we stick to his principles. He will make sure it does. He will bless us. James chapter 1 verse 17 says this. Listen to this and with this I close. Every good gift and every perfect gift is where from? You know that verse? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, I am God, I do not change, or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth. You and I, of his own will, brought us forth by the word of truth when we responded to the word, so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How are we first fruits to the Lord? By the way we give him back our lives in totality. And in trust before him. By our attitude towards what God has given to us, do we give it all back to the Lord? What do I hold back on? We serve a faithful God. And the question to you and I is, does he have faithful servants? Are you a faithful servant of the Lord? You see, we need to do business with the Lord when it comes to our personal lives and our attitude towards sin. And that's what God was saying to the Israelites. This was just an area he was using to show them that. We need to come before the Lord and know that he is a holy God. He will not take unholiness before him. He cannot. Otherwise, he wouldn't be holy. We need to deal with those issues in our lives and give God our lives in totality, completely, with everything we have, give it to his service, and then he will give back to us in blessing in the way that he knows will be good for us. Give God his due.
your whole life, everything you have. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes when we come to this topic of our money and what we own, we get really sensitive. And it's that inclination in us to gather around ourselves and to keep everything. It's that selfishness in us, Lord. And yet, Lord, in this passage today, You've been pointing to a different matter in us, the root cause. You've been saying to us here from your word, don't take shortcuts with my word. Return to my principles. Return to my word and the wisdom of my word. And then I will return to you, says the Lord, in the blessing that I give you. And Lord, forgive us for how quickly and how often we seem to get off the path. And we get so distracted by the world and what's happening in the world and everything the world has to offer that we forget that we are involved in a spiritual walk, not just before you, but with you, with you in us. Forgive us for being faithless as Israel was faithless and Lord, this very issue has been pointed us to, out to us again this morning. We, we pray that you would make it attentive on our souls, that we would deal with whatever you want to deal with in our lives, and that we would also look at how faithful we are, not just in our giving to you, but also in our service to you, in our devotion to you, in the amount of time we spend with you in your word, in the amount of time we spend in our relationship with the living God. Return to us, we pray. And Lord, help us to be faithful in giving you what is due to you. And that is our all, our everything. You are the faithful God. Keep us faithful, Lord, we pray. In our human frailty, keep us faithful. Amen.